0: Thank you. Thank you to my lovely wife. That is my lovely wife. And thank you all for being here this morning. Like my wife said, my name is Gino and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. We're we're, we're glad to have you here. Also special welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast on iTunes. You are also welcome to come and worship with us here. On Sunday mornings. I want to just briefly uh, mention something that we have coming up on uh, not this Monday, but next Monday. Some of you have been reading about it in the bulletins, you've seen the announcements, and even our leaders, we've been discussing this. this is a 21 day fast that we have coming up here. And before you run out of the door, let me just explain that. Uh, each, each and every year, we, 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 we regularly practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. And fasting is just denying ourselves something in an effort to move closer. Jesus, denying ourselves something in order to move closer to Jesus. And some of us choose to to fast food or to completely cut out food for the duration of the fast. Some people choose one meal a day or some people give up Facebook. Some people give up social media, maybe any extra functions on their mobile phone. They choose something that's usually kind of got a hold on them and they lay that down for the duration of the fast and, and spend that time generally in prayer and seeking the Lord and reflection and things like that. So we have one coming up. Uh, it's on uh, uh, September 10th is when it begins I believe that's a Monday and this 21 uh, day fast is a fantastic opportunity for us to corporately as a ch- church join in and, and pursue God together we believe that you know, we have a lot of things that we have before the Lord the Lord promised us a fantastic year it's been a fantastic summer And I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes on a church calendar, the fall is the time where people really try to plug into church. I mean, school is starting around that time. So we just want to saturate ourselves in prayer and uh, deny ourselves some things in an effort to press in to Jesus. We will be spending uh, next week talking about fasting. Next week's message will be on fasting just to bring some clarity to those of you who have never fasted before. But I also want to... You guys to spend this week in prayer just asking the Lord to highlight the things that he will cause you to lay down uh, for the duration of this fast that's coming up. I also want to issue a special welcome to all of you, as many of you who who can, to come and participate in our Saturday morning corporate prayer events. It's um, not very well attended, generally speaking, but through the next three weeks when this fast starts, I'm going to ask that um, each and every person that can really make an effort to come so we can just saturate this church, saturate this community in prayer. And if you need more information on that, if you have questions about that, you can ask me, but many of your questions will probably be answered next week as we talk about fasting in next week's sermon. Everybody clear on that? No? All right. All right. So we move forward. Well, I have a friend of mine who's a pastor uh, on the north side of Chicago, and he tells a story about a guy who had come to his church from a more mainline denominational church. So the guy had come to his church and been hanging around his church for a while. So after the guy had been hanging around maybe a year or so, my friend goes up to this guy and says, hey, listen, um, you've been hanging around this church long enough to be able to observe how we do things, to get a feel for how we do things. He said, what's the main difference between you know our church and the church that you came out of, particularly with it being a more mainline denominational church? And he said, my friend, who's a vineyard pastor, expected... Uh, a wide range of responses. He, he expected the guy to say something like, well, you guys don't really dress up on Sunday or you don't really play traditional hymns. He expected something along those lines. But what the guy actually said, he says, you guys actually expect people to change after they come here. Amen. Do you guys actually expect that when people take Jesus into their hearts and they take Jesus seriously and they come to church and they listen to message after message, you guys actually have a realistic expectation that people's lives will change and they will be transformed. When I heard this story, I thought, wow, I want people to say that about the South Suburban Vineyard, that when people come to this church, there's a realistic expectation that people will change. I don't want to make any, uh, I don't want to confuse anybody here. I want to let you know that we expect you to change when you come to this church. Now, that may sound bad, worse than what I want it to sound like, but what I'm saying is we expect that when you take Jesus into your life, that you will change. We expect that when Jesus moves in, he will bring some of his stuff with you and presumably put some of your stuff out on the front step to be collected by the trash collectors. We expect that Jesus will change you because Jesus expects us to change. Jesus expects us to change. I've been, uh, track, if you've been tracking with us, you know that we're uh, in the midst of a series that we've been calling Real Faith, and it's my privilege to conclude this series this week. It's been a very impactful series. I don't know about for you, but I've been challenged and changed by and through it. But we've been simply calling this series Real Faith, of course, setting it apart from fake faith or counterfeit faith or the things that look like faith, but really don't measure up at its core and at its surface, uh, at, at the real essence of it. We've defined faith using the scriptures, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. And each and every week we've hung our hat on the word confidence in that definition. Confidence about what? Confidence that God is who he says he is, that he, he's the real deal, that he will do exactly what he says that he will do. He's credible God. And that confidence is expressed in the life of believer by nothing other than obedience. In other words, don't tell me how confident you are in Jesus. Don't tell me how sold out you are as it relates to faith. And we don't see any obedience in your life. We don't see you doing the things that God tells you to do, saying the things that God tells you to say, transforming in the ways that God demands that we transform. The key word there is confidence, and that confidence is expressed in God, and that confidence plays out in nothing other than obedience. So, throughout this series, we've been looking at characters, key characters from the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, in hopes to find the distinguishing marks of real, authentic faith. And we've looked at how faith requires a sacrifice. We've looked at how faith requires us to take a stand. We've looked at how faith causes us to deal with the temptations or the things that pull on us in our life. We've looked at how faith requires us to be willing to go and to be and to do whatever God calls us to do. We looked at the fact that faith requires courage. We looked at the fact that faith requires us to deal with sin as a person of faith. And last week, we looked at the fact that faith requires us to to live in a way that benefits fits others and as we've examined each and every one of these characters as we looked at each and every one of these passages we've discovered that the closer we move to Jesus the farther away we get from the things that compromise our relationship with him The closer we get to Jesus, the more fervently we press into a place of deep and abiding faith, the farther away we get from those things that compromise our faith and disqualify us, uh, our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And as we get closer to Jesus and as we get farther away from the things that will disqualify us, one very important thing should be happening for the duration of your faith, and that is constant, constant change and Transformation. Constant change in transformation. The closer you get to Jesus, the more like Him you get. You should be changing and transforming. In other words, if you're not changing, then you need a faith check. If you're not being transformed, if you're not growing, then we need to examine our faith. Change, friends, is absolutely necessary as a person of faith. I just taught, t- entitled this message this morning that faith. Requires change. I didn't say it would be nice if you changed, you know, a little bit about yourself. I'm calling this message: faith requires change, and no truer words have ever been spoken. We look today at Luke chapter 19, at a, uh, a wonderful story in the Scripture. Luke chapter 19. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of the rows. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours as a gift from us to you. Please bring your Bibles to church. By the way, also we'll be projecting the Scriptures on the screens in front of you. But before I get into that, let me just pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you especially, Lord, for this church that I get to stand up and share your word and just lead and shepherd this group of wonderful folks. So I pray that your word would just visit us and guide us and transform us today. Lord, would you illuminate the scriptures, open the scriptures to us this morning, that your truth and your word might shine through. Lord, would you just move the preacher out of the way this morning so that you can speak clearly? Would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak That people might know you better and cling to you with all they have. But we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we look at a familiar story in the scriptures today Luke chapter 19. We'll start at verse 1, and this is the story of Zacchaeus. Little Zacchaeus, we'll start at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. i read verse 10 again. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And once again, we see a very powerful story, and for some of us, a very familiar story. And in this story, we see none other than Jesus, the famous Savior. And much like the passage we read last week, wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. Jesus was healing people. He was announcing the kingdom. Some people were trying to figure out if it was the Messiah. Some people had no idea about the Messiah stuff. They just knew that sick people were healed. And that this growing fame was surrounding this guy by the name of Jesus. So Jesus is coming into town, and of course he has these crowds following him, and he enters Jericho, and then we meet this guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd. And we don't know very much about Zacchaeus, but we know three very uh, sort of significant things in this particular passage. One, we know uh, that he was short. because he was short, he had to climb up in the tree. The scripture also tells us that he was a tax collector. Now, I always feel the need to have to slow down and explain that because while we don't particularly like the tax man, you know, we don't quite see what's so despicable about that unless you've perhaps been audited or something like that. But I just want to explain to you that the tax collector was a very despised individual in Jesus' day. The tax collector was responsible for collecting taxes. To make it worse, the, the, this, the Jewish people found themselves under Roman occupation, otherwise they were occupied by foreign government. But these tax collectors were Jewish people who were te- collecting taxes from other Jewish people. To make matters worse, these tax collectors had the freedom, had the liberty to collect more than what they were supposed to, to take. So they were lining their pockets with money, ill-gotten money, from their own fellow countrymen. So not only were they considered traitors, they were considered thieves who were allowed to legally steal from them and rob them of their hard-earned income this put tax collectors on the bottom, on the very bottom uh, of the social order. Very bottom. So they were despised. They were despicable people. They were, not, they were not liked at all. So we know that Zacchaeus is a despised tax collector. We also know through this story that he has a particular interest in Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what his interest, uh, or, or created this interest. Perhaps it's just a curiosity Perhaps he's just like everybody else, just wanting to see who this guy is, what's all the fuss about. Maybe this guy will do a cool trick you know, while, he, while he's in Jericho. We know that Zacchaeus is curious. Perhaps Zacchaeus, is, his conscience is weighing heavy on him, and he's perhaps at the end of his rope, and he's looking to hear a word from the Lord. We don't know any of that, but all we know is that Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus, Interested in Jesus. Nonetheless, when we look at Zacchaeus, we see a picture of faith. As we've seen week after week, we see a picture of faith. And we see an unlikely picture of faith because Zacchaeus is such a wretched man. He's such a godless man. He's such a dastardly sinner. But we see a picture of faith nonetheless in this wretched tax collector that's interested in Jesus. He's so interested that he climbs a tree and hopes to get a glimpse of the master as he's walking by, and as I look at this store, I see something familiar because I've learned to look out for those people hanging out in trees in my own life. You say, what does that mean? I've learned to look out for those people who are taking a particular interest in faith or Jesus, and I encounter them all the time. I'll give you an example. On Wednesday nights, we open the doors and we have men's basketball in here we get guys from age 16 to 27 come through here to play basketball now they come to play basketball but I come to share the gospel with them so we typically pay an hour worth of basketball I share about 5 or 10 or 15 minutes of the gospel with them I just keep stretching it out each week Um, and we play another hour worth of basketball well we've been doing that for a little over a year now And it's been interesting to see the people who will come up and talk to me, or the people who will request prayer, or the people that just are taking a particular interest in Jesus. It's not much, not anything to really write home about, but it's something. And I liken it to Zacchaeus, don't quite know what his interest level is, don't quite know where he stands, but he's hanging out in the tree, there's some curiosity there, there's some interest there, and I've learned in my life to look out for those people hanging out And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, who take seriously Jesus' command to go into all the world and to make disciples of all men, you want to keep your eye out for those folks who are hanging out in trees. Maybe the person that comes to your cubicle and asks you a question about faith, or maybe somebody who asks you, what's that worship music you're listening to at your desk? Or maybe somebody who's facing a life uh, difficulty and asks you a question, or there's just some sort of interest in faith. I've learned, as you should... To take a particular interest in those like Zacchaeus that are just hanging out in the tree, looking to hear a word, looking to, to be enlightened by Jesus. Because this is what Jesus does. And the very last past, the very last verse that we read says, Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And that's where we start this morning. The first thing I see in here is that Jesus is searching. Jesus is searching. Jesus is searching. I had the opportunity to share this passage with the young men this past week at basketball, and I let them in on this very interesting secret that Jesus is searching. He's searching for people. He's looking for hearts. He's looking for folks that are interested in him. He's looking for people who want to make a change. He's looking for people who want to hear what he has to say. Verse 5 says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So once we figure out that Jesus is looking, Jesus is searching, we have to ask ourselves, well, who exactly is Jesus searching for? Who is Jesus searching for? And I just, I just found the need, and I always found the need, to let people know who Jesus is searching for. And there's this misconception that's floating around in the church, and particularly outside of the church, that Jesus is looking for people who are particularly put together. He's looking for people who've got all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. He wants you to clean yourself up, get your act together, and then he'll search for you. And then he'll welcome you into his family. And it's one of my life's goals to completely shatter that misconception. Jesus is looking for the lost. He's looking for the broken. He's looking for the tax collectors or the social equivalent to tax collectors in our day. He's looking for people who don't have it together. He's looking for people who swear a lot and who don't go to church and who cheat on their taxes and cheat on their spouse. He's looking for people who are broken, people who are messed up. People that don't have their lives together. And not only is he looking for people who are messed up and who are broken, he's looking for people who are aware of that brokenness, who know that they're jacked up, who know that unless Jesus redeems them, who know that unless Jesus saves them, that they're up the creek without a pattern. And when we look at Scripture, we see over and over what Jesus is looking for. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for their kingdom is theirs. Another version says, blessed are the poor in spirit because they are low enough, they're base enough, they're destitute enough to recognize their need for a savior. So Jesus is searching for people who are broken. Jesus is searching for people who are lost, particularly those that know they're lost. And this makes Zacchaeus a perfect candidate for salvation. He makes Zacchaeus a perfect candidate for what Jesus has to offer. And frankly speaking, it makes many of us here today a perfect candidate for what Jesus has to offer. And some of us, we disqualify ourselves, not because we're not lost, not because we're not broken. It's because everybody knows you're lost but you. Everybody knows you're broken but you. And when Jesus comes into our lives, when he comes looking, when he comes searching, he doesn't look for the person who's got their tie on tight. He doesn't look for the person with the largest Bible under their arm or the biggest, you know, Jesus fish that you can get on the back of your SUV. What he's looking for is a lost person that knows that they are lost. A broken person that is in touch with that brokenness. And Jesus finds what he is looking for when he encounters Zacchaeus, who has scurried up, the sycamore fig tree in hopes of getting a glimpse of Jesus. And once Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, we see another fascinating thing happens, and that is that Zacchaeus believes. Zacchaeus believes. It's interesting that we don't see Jesus give Zacchaeus the pep talk. This is interesting that the scriptures don't include an account of this sit down discussion that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, let me sit you down. Now that I'm here, let me, let me just talk to you with some prepared notes that I have. Now, you know it's wrong to steal from people, right? You know that that's a despicable thing to do. Zacchaeus, you need to clean up your act. And he didn't give Zacchaeus this hour long sermon. And when I look at the story, it almost seems like somebody ripped some pages out of the Scripture. It seems like a chunk of the story is missing because Zacchaeus seems to get right to the part where he repents and he turns around. Verse 8 says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And here we see the very beginning of the point where Zacchaeus' faith really begins to take hold. And here is sort of the crux of our message today because we see Zacchaeus' faith taking hold because we see the change that results of his faith. We see the changes that he starts to enact, the changes that he seeks to make in his life. And let me tell you something, I'm not convinced of anybody's faith if I don't see the fruit of it. Now, it's not my job to judge. I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. But I'm telling you one of the telltale mo- excuse me, uh, marks of a person who has really uh, had their faith taken hold or really been grabbed and shaken by Jesus is that they begin to change some things significantly in their life. And I think it's interesting this morning to look at the ways that Zacchaeus decides to make some changes. We go all the way back to the very beginning when we talk about what we're supposed to be doing on this earth. We go all the way back to God's law. The greatest commandment, as Jesus says, is to love God and to love people. And when faith takes a hold of you, one of the main things you'll sure up in your life is your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. I just want to simplify this today. So which type of changes should I be looking for? What is the fruit of deep and abiding faith that will produce the change that I need to see in my life? It will always sure up your relationship with God, and it would inevitably sure up your relationship with other people. In other words, the change that God requires will always deal specifically with these two aspects. And I just want to look at it real quickly. So uh, Zacchaeus starts to believe that Jesus is the real deal. And he deals with the idols in his life. Scripture says, put no other gods before me. Love me, God says, with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love me. And one of the things that drives Zacchaeus into this uh, devious lifestyle is the idol of money. The idol of money, collecting taxes, collecting too much, stealing from people, robbing from people, probably lying and doing all sorts of things. He's dealing with idolatry. So when Jesus moves into his heart, when Jesus encounters this young man, the first thing that we see is Zacchaeus begins to deal with this idol of greed. He starts to deal with this idol of greed. He starts to put Jesus in the number one spot where he belongs. Starts to deal with this relationship with God. Deal with this relationship with Jesus. And when I examine my life and I look back over the things that I've changed significantly in my life, I see that this is one of the main areas. We all have idols. We all have things that we put before Jesus. We all have things that are more important to us if we're honest than the love and the life of the Savior. And when Jesus moves into our heart and we begin to take our faith seriously, one of the main things that we start to deal with... Are those idols? Are those idols? For some of us, it's friendships. For some of us, it's relationships. For some of us, it's our significant other. For some of us, it's a a besetting sin. Perhaps you're addicted to pornography. Perhaps you're a sex addict. Perhaps you have an issue with uh, being deceitful and dishonest. Perhaps you have all sorts of secrets that are ruining your life, and the list can go on and on and on. All of these are idols, but when Jesus moves in, One of the telltale signs is that you'll start to deal with those idols. You start to deal with those things. Your conscience will be disrupted. The spirit of God that lives within you won't let you get a moment's peace, won't let you move forward without dealing with those things. And some of you here today, and you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you are here today, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you also know... That those things have not been changed in your heart. You haven't been moved to action. You haven't been stirred enough by the Holy Spirit to change those things, to deal with those idols, to move God ever so quickly to the number one spot. When I look at people like that, when I talk to people like that, I always see a life in chaos. Doesn't matter if Jesus is number two, doesn't matter. He could be a close second. I'm telling you, that number one thing will run and perhaps ruin your life. So the change that we seek is moving Jesus to number one spot, moving Jesus to that point where he's number one in your life, and it will inevitably kick out the idol that's been ruining and disturbing your life and your peace with God. Like I said, the closer we get to Jesus, the farther away we move from the other things, and that's what we're looking for. So we see Zacchaeus dealing with this idol that produced this immoral behavior. And we also see as Zacchaeus deals with this idol, he pledges to get right with other people. He pledges to get right with other people. What brokenness and sin against God often creates is a a, a self-centeredness and a selfishness that puts you first above others. It's not intentional. It's just natural byproduct of sin. You got your idols, you got your things, you got your besetting sins, you're pouring yourself into those things, and all of a sudden, nobody matters but you. Nobody matters but you. All you can see is your needs. All you can see is meeting your immediate needs, and this is what was happening to Zacchaeus. These are his fellow countrymen, selling them out to get rich, to make money, to worship his idol of greed. And Zacchaeus says, listen, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus says, listen, Lord, I'm getting straight with you, and I'm going to get straight with other people. Now, this can play out in a million different ways, depending on what your issue is, depending on what your area of brokenness is, but it always deals generally with the same thing, getting right with God and getting right with God with people. That's the change that we seek. Those are the fruit that grow on a tree of the life of a person who has a deep and abiding faith. Zacchaeus believes, his belief gives way to change, and that change gives way to a wholeness and healing that he's perhaps never experienced before. I say Zacchaeus believes, and how do I know that Zacchaeus believes? Because I see his actions. I see the resolve to do things better. I see the resolve to make things right, the things that he's done wrong. I see a resolve to move closer to Jesus and things will start to fall into place. Now, let me make it clear. If we were to follow Zacchaeus after this point, I'm not suggesting to you that he's a perfect, just angel, that he's never sinned again, that he's never wronged somebody again. Perhaps he's struggling with greed again. Perhaps he struggles with some other vice. I'm not talking about perfection. None of us will reach perfection. The goal is to be moving closer and closer to Jesus, and that's our goal for the rest of our lives. We will always give us some work to do, which will always be producing godly change in our life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and ten says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So Paul's giving us a formula for what it takes to be saved. If you confess with your mouth, and let's let's go public with this thing. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Now, I always feel the need to clarify what that belief means. It doesn't mean, that okay, Jesus is a nice guy. I believe that there's a gray-bearded God somewhere stroking his beard, looking down upon us, just waiting to give us a heavenly hug when we get to the pearly gates. I'm not talking about that belief. I'm talking about belief that gives way to action, right? I'm talking about putting your money where your mouth is. I'm talking about, as we say, leaning the full weight of your life and your faith on Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about when he says believes. That's what it means to really believe and to come into this thing and do it for real when you put your life where your mouth is. Confession is fine. Baptism, that's fine. You went public with it. You say, hey, I'm in. But the belief happens. The belief is shown when we put some obedience, we put some legs on this thing, and we start letting Jesus move in and change the things in our life that need to be changed. Change the things in our life that needs to be changed. So Jesus is searching. He finds Zacchaeus. He encounters him. Zacchaeus believes, and we know Zacchaeus believes because of his actions, and what do we see? What's next? Salvation comes to the house Of Zacchaeus. Verse 9 says, Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those that are lost. Salvation came not because Zacchaeus prayed some prayer, not because you know his name was put up on the screens at church, and hey, we've accepted another brother into the faith. Salvation came to Zacchaeus's home. Salvation came to his life when he believed in Jesus and he let that belief result in changed life. And some of you are here today, dare I say it? Some of you are here today and you're probably not saved. Some of you have been going to church for your whole life. Your whole life you've been in church. Some of you don't miss a meeting. Some of you give faithfully, you show up to stuff. But the fruit that's growing on your tree is not the fruit of a changed life. And I submit to you today that you don't have to have it all together to come to Jesus, but you certainly shouldn't stay that way. You certainly shouldn't stay that way. Some of us still do whatever we want to do, we say whatever we want to say. We treat people however we want to treat them. And then we come in here on Sunday like it's okay, like Jesus doesn't see that. We come in here and try to press other people by looking the part and saying what we need to say, and the Lord would say to you today, have you changed the things that you need to change? That attitude of yours, have, have you let me change that? That secret sin that you're dealing with, have you, have you let me change that? That lying tongue you have, have you you let me change that? Those stingy fingers of yours, have you let me change those? It's not that Jesus is trying to make our life difficult. He's trying to qualify us for what he has to offer us. And it has salvation. That's his kingdom citizenship, which is worthy of anything you're trying to hold on to. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. But salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house because he believes. And that belief is expressed by obedience, and I'll say it a different way, a plainer way, is that Zacchaeus does what he knows to do. He does what he knows to do. As I was studying the Scriptures, I found it interesting that, um, and I've often asked myself the question, well, how how were people saved before Jesus? It seems like a very complicated matter. In the Old Testament they didn't have Jesus. How would people write with God? And I, I, I read some fantastic com- commentary that simply said that people did what they knew to do. Jesus had given his uh, people in the o- Old Testament the law to live by the law, to be obedient to that. And those in the Old Testament were right with God when they did what the law told them to do. So we move into the New Testament. Jesus comes with power. He announces the kingdom. The kingdom of here. Repent. Believe on me. I'm God's man. I'm, God. I'm the Messiah. I'll demonstrate that with power. I'm the guy. So what were people expected to do then? They, 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 they got new information. The Messiah had come. They're supposed to follow him. In essence, to do what they know to do. So I see people all throughout different stages of Christianity. Some new Christians who are still, by all accounts, a mess. But they're doing what they know to do. That's the most beautiful sight in the world to see is a person who comes in interested in Jesus and is learning something different each week and putting it into practice. Learning something different every week and putting it into, into practice. They're in here and they learn that, you know, sleeping with their boyfriend is, is wrong. And they come up and they say, well, I, didn't, I had no idea. And my mind went, really? You didn't know that? When they work really hard to change it. Or they hear another word from the Lord and they're reading the scriptures say, I didn't know that was in there. That's really hard. Can you keep me accountable? Can you help me do that? And all the while, we see transformation. All the while, we see change. All the while, we see them moving closer to Jesus. Of course, they take a couple steps back. The enemy's fighting against them. He's, he's, He's fighting against them. He's working against the change that God wants to produce. But all the while, they're changing and they're transforming. Listen, I'll take that any day over somebody who just sits in here week after week and doesn't change a thing. I'll take that any day. And Jesus is pleased with the life of a person who simply does what they know to do, simply purposes in their heart that Jesus, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, if that means me getting rid of this ill-gotten wealth, then I'll do it. If it means me, you know, uh, losing face and going back and apologizing, if it means turning in my tax collector's credentials, then I'll do it because that's, I know better now. I know better now i got to do some things differently. I might have to cut some people loose. I might have to quit my job because the culture there is something that's ungodly. It's something that causes me to move in a direction that's closer to the things that I'm supposed to move away from and farther away from the Jesus that I'm supposed to pursue. I might have to quit my job. I might like to relocate. I might have to go through my movie collection and get rid of some stuff. I might have to put the protection blockers on my computer so I can not access those things that destroy my relationship with God and destroy my relationship with my wife. I might have to do some things differently. It might inconvenience my life. It might cost me some money. It might cost me some time. I might have to downsize, uh, you know, my, 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 my living. I might have to completely change my entire life, Lord, but I'll do what I know to do because that's the fruit of a changed life. That's the fruit of deep and abiding faith. So I didn't come this morning to get on your Christmas list. I came to tell you what the Word of God says. I came to tell you about the things that I have to wrestle with in my own life and in my own heart each and every day before I stand before you and preach this stuff. I come to tell you that we're on the same side of the table. I'm not preaching down to you saying, you need to be more like me. I'm saying, we need to be more like Jesus. And some of you, as you sit here today, as you examine your faith, you say, man, I really need to change some things. You say, man, that's been like that for a long time. I've been wrestling with that thing since 86. I've changed some superficial things. I've put some glitter on that or polished that, but deep on the inside, those deep secret things have remained the same. And you ought not be satisfied with that anymore. You ought not to be able to come in here each and every week and hear the word of the Lord and leave and have absolutely no desire to change the things that are in your life. It ought to bother you that there's distance between you and Jesus. It ought to upset you that there are things in your life that have been left unchanged. salvation come to your house today? Where Jesus says, this is a true son, this is a true daughter of Abraham. Would he say that about you in the privacy of your own quarters? Or would he say, listen, you got some work to do. Would he say, what's behind your your back? Give me that. Why don't you go public with this thing? When is your faith going to take hold? What would Jesus say to you? Would salvation be your portion today? Or do you have a ways to go? How do we put this all together? First, I remind you that Jesus is searching. Jesus is searching. Those of you who are, are not in the family of God today, those of you who are far from Jesus, maybe you've strayed, maybe you've wandered, if not Physically, but in your hearts. I want to let you know that Jesus is searching. He's searching for you. If you're hearing my voice today, you're sitting in this room, or you're hearing my voice through the internet or through the podcast, listen, Jesus is searching for you. It's no coincidence that you've clicked on this link. There's no coincidence that you're here today. Jesus is searching for you, and what he wants to find you do is hanging from a sycamore tree looking to get a glimpse of him. He wants to find you as interested in him as he is in you. He wants to find you lost, broken. And not just lost and broken, but in touch with your brokenness, in touch with your lostness. And when he finds you in that state... He wants to change you. He wants to move into your life. He wants to bring his stuff in, the fruit of his spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the long-suffering, all the good stuff. He wants to bring that stuff in. And he'll undoubtedly move some things out. And when you encounter Jesus with a broken heart and with a broken spirit, you say, Lord, I, ha- I need all that you have. I need everything that you've got in some. Then that's when true belief happens. That's when true belief happens. And the fruit of that belief is action, man, I've changed life. Talk about that confidence and the things that are to come, the confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. We see that confidence expressed in obedience and action and movement, and that action produces the change that we need to see. That means getting right with God, moving him to that number one spot, letting go of your idol's, And the natural progression is that your life with others, relationships with others, how you treat and interact and relate to other people will significantly change. Listen, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. We believe, and as a result of that belief, salvation comes. Kingdom citizenship comes. And all of the beauty and the bounty of the kingdom, healing comes, wholeness comes. I'm not talking about a perfect life. I'm talking about a deep and profound sense of functionality that you've perhaps never experienced before. That's what comes as a result of true belief. But what we don't, we won't get that, man, unless we resolve in our hearts to change some things not to just shuffle things around in a way that makes us look better to others. I'm talking about change the stuff that Jesus puts his finger on, change the stuff that God's word shines the flood lights on. Change is what we need. All to say, friends, is that faith, real faith, to sum up the entire series, requires that we change. And I always say, if you're not growing and you're dead or dying, And some of you are today, here today, you're spiritually, you're dead. Or you're spiritually dying. But God wants to give you that uh, abundant life. He wants to give you a deep, abiding faith in him that will change your whole life, guaranteed. I hope you let him do that. Worship team, you can come up. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for how your word gives us exactly what we need, Lord. When we need to be encouraged, your word encourages us like nothing else. When we need a kick in the pants, your word does that quite like nothing else, Lord. And some of us are here today, Lord, and we just needed to hear what you had to say today. We needed to look in the mirror of your word and examine ourselves for who we truly are, and we needed to, to honestly gauge whether or not we were moving closer to you or farther away. The evidence, Lord, of moving closer to you, obviously, is positive change, and some of us are lacking that today. But, Lord, we know that that your word says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or no condemnation for those who, who come to Christ Jesus. Rather, you provide us with salvation, freedom, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That is what we have to inherit in the kingdom of God. And I just pray, Lord, that that would be our portion today. For those of us who are who are crushed under the weight of besetting sin, uh, that's been accompanied by g- guilt and shame and all sorts of cycles of brokenness, Lord, I pray that your spirit will break through right now and move them to action, move them to a place of accountability, move them to a place where they surrender those idols to you. Lord, and I pray for those of us who have had our relationships disturbed because of our idols, because of our brokenness, Lord, I pray that as you move in that we move closer to you, Jesus, that you would bring restoration to those areas, Lord. And as we worship you today in song, as we lay our lives down before you today, Lord, I pray that you would bring change like nothing else, that you would bring peace, Lord, like nothing else, that you would bring the gift of faith, Lord, like nothing else in this world. We love you, Lord, and we pledge our lives to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.